Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about classical education, the classical world, old books. Sometimes we've maybe even talked about movies. And once Um, a door. Once a door. (laughs) Twice twice a door. Twice a door. Twice a door. And um, we're just three guys who like philosophy and literature and art and history. Um, And yeah, we're just casting pods about it. (laughs) And today, AJ is telling us about Something old. What do we got? Wow. Some, <laughs> what an intro. <laughs> yeah. So compelling. Something old. All right. So today I I have been thinking about sort of trying to branch out from the Western canon. Um, so I was thinking of reading through the Veda, the Veda's texts, um, some of the texts of the world's great religions and some of the philo- philosophical texts. I'm hoping to do Confucianism as well. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just poking around, you know, right. getting into old stuff wherever I can. And we've been in the Western canon for a really long time. So I thought I would try to reach out and get into... The Eastern canon, uh, I found that that's a little bit hard because I'm a Western person. And even even in reading, I couldn't shake my Western bias. And then as I read, I read the, so for this week, I read the Tao Te Ching. And even during my reading, I couldn't shake it. And then as I was, as I was reading like intros and stuff, to, to the Tao Te Ching to understand it better. The commentaries. And that kind the of commentaries. It, it made clear how difficult it was for me to shake my Western bias while I, while I read the Tao Te Ching. So just keep that in mind and also keep in mind that this is not within my expertise and uh, I'm, I'm doing my best over here, audience. So the Tao is written by a fellow named Lao Tzu, which I guess is sort of like a shadowy old master, old philosopher, but chances are there wasn't really one Lao Tzu. Oh, what, what really happened was it was a, an oral tradition passed down and then having been touched by many hands was eventually codified into sort of like this long, long philosophical piece. Um, the same Art of War guy? The guy who wrote Art of War? Did he write out of Art of oh, War? That's what I'm asking you. You're the expert. I don't think so. Is it Art of War by Lao Tzu? No, Lao Tzu. Sun Tzu. Oh, Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu. Yeah, oh. different guy. Uh-oh. <laughs> two stars. <laughs> two stars. <laughs> I like that you're assuming two stars. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't deserve you two give stars. Us something that intro, <laughs> which we had to re-record. <laughs> which we had to. Yeah, bloopers coming, audience. Uh, bloopers coming. Great. So it was it was pulled together during the Quin Kin Q Q I N dynasty. However you pronounce that, the Kin dynasty, uh, around the fourth century BC. Um, it was kind of a reaction against the Confucianism that had been ruling the philosophy of the time. And Confucianism has, is really rigid, right? There's prescriptions for way that you should live your life. There are prescriptions for how you should act in a family. And this is less of that. It's a little bit more formless, um, which I'll get into as we go. This was also during a time when martial strategy, like warfare was getting better and better and better. And we're moving towards the phalanx and people would put up city walls and then have them torn right back down. And so it was a a time of warring states for sure. And there was a ton of bloodshed and it was a very militant kind of atmosphere in China at the time. And in fact, a lot of the books from that time are military strategy books like The Art of War. I don't know if it's from that time, but kind of, you know, that same kind of thing. For Christmas, I got a book of the seven, what's it called? The seven uh, texts of of classical the classical military texts of ancient China or whatever. Apparently, there are these seven seminal works that anybody interested in in sort of the martial arts of um, in China have to read. Right. So I got it for Christmas. I'm gonna read it. Let's so yeah, this is a reaction against those. Oh, cool. So you know, balancing it out. Right. I mean, eventually Graham might come at you Yuck. with some military stuff, and hopefully this will this will prime you as a person of peace. Come at mm. me, bro. So the you have to get yourself in sort of an Eastern 
mindset, which means that there are that there are things about the West that didn't necessarily happen in the East. So Greek thought is largely concerned with static things that we can define and separate and, and say, okay, this is the way that nature works, right? There are four things that compose nature. They are static. It was what? Hot, moist, cold, dry. Those earth, air, wind, and fire, mm-hmm. which is like... No, but those are the results of hot, moist, do cold, you dry. remember? December. <laughs> <laughs> Um, earth, wind, and fire. Thanks. Yep. Wow. What happened to, yeah, why not water? It's a great point. It's a what? great point. Earth, wind, and fire? Oh, is it earth, wind, and fire? They picked three out of four. Yeah. Oh, man, I don't know. I'm if you know, out there. Right <laughs> anyway, those, those elements are the result of the, the base elements of the world, hot, moist, cold, dry. And they, so the, the Greeks are very concerned with staticness. And this is even evident in the way that Christianity grew up, right? We talk about, God in terms of being someone who doesn't change, who is pure of substance, right? Which, and, and there's a reason it's inseparable, partially because the New Testament grew up in the time of the Greeks and the Roman, uh, Roman occupation. And so Greek and Roman ideas and the ideas of the West are tied into Christianity, right? Many of our great philosophers are Westerners, right? They were Romans or they were, you know, all around the Mediterranean at that at time. Some point, yeah. yeah, they were, they were Hellenes, kind of. So it's hard to shake that. Um, when you start getting into this Eastern tradition, it's a little bit different. Uh, things are less defined, at least in Taoism, okay. right? There are change is sort of built into the world and things are harder to separate, right? When you talk about a flower, well, the sun shines on a flower and the wind brings seeds to let that flower grow. And then there's the earth that's involved and you got to have rain. And so even in like the basic enjoyment of a flower, which might put the smile on a kid's face, well, there's Everything in the world is connected to that. And that kind of reaches back to your episode about causation, right? It's really hard to say this one thing caused something because... Everything causes everything. Everything causes everything, right? You're, you're kind of... Everything's kind of involved. And so the notion of the oneness of the universe is, is more present in, East, in the Eastern tradition than it is in the Western. And so even on my first read-through, it was hard for me to sort of be okay with that change. Um, all right, so let's, let's go through a little bit of it. it I don't know that there's any chapters in this thing or even any real movements. There's a couple that you could say, okay, these couple of chapters are about this. These few chapters are about this. But for the most part, it it is a reiteration of kind of the same notion over and over and over again. Um, and so I'll read you uh, an occasional chapter here and there. It's actually a pretty short read. It's maybe 40 pages long. There are 81 chapters, but by chapter, I mean, you know, it's it's the length of a poem, right? right. It's really short. So there's 81 of those. I'll read you a couple in their entirety. I'll read other small quotes and to kind of give you an idea of the feel of the text and um, what Taoism is like. And then we can talk about the precepts of Taoism after we finish and kind of what the philosophy is in a nutshell, if we can if we can kind of piece it together. And then I have a few questions after that. So we'll see how it goes. Let's do it. So chapter one, Tao, which means the way, that can be spoken is not the constant Tao. The name that can be named is not a constant name. Nameless is the origin of heaven and earth. The named is the mother of all things. Thus, the constant void enables one to observe the true essence. The constant being enables one to see the outward manifestations. These two come paired from the same origin. But when the essence is manifested, it has a different name. The same origin is called the profound mystery. As profound the mystery as it can be, it is the gate to the essence of all life. Got it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. You guys yep. tracking? Easy. Yeah. You got that? Rock and roll. Okay. Perfect. I'm. I'm glad we're all on board. There's. I can see that your difficulty in summarizing that. If if the rest of it is that same tone, it's you kind of need to read this book on your own to really understand any of it. It's a you, profound mystery, Thomas. Or just it's something that should be meditated on much more so than it is like. Again, most of our episodes are us like summarizing a book, mm-hmm. and like I have no, like, I have no idea how you would summarize that other than to say everything is a mystery. But that that doesn't, doesn't really capture yeah, it exactly. Right? There, and there's stuff I just fully don't understand. Yeah, right sure. when the essence is manifested, it has a different name. It doesn't say what the name is. I, I'm kind of unclear. Yeah. Uh, the the same origin is called the profound mystery. Which origin? Yeah. Right. I think all of this is partially tied up in the philosophy of the time. Right. And I. I from my limited understanding of Eastern philosophy, the world has kind of sprung out of chaos. Okay. And so when it's talking about the void, I think it's kind of talking about that, right? The, the, what the world sprung out of. Mm. And then to kind of give you a little bit of footing here, I think there's three different ways or Tao's that are under discussion. Mm-hmm. There's the way of nature, right? Which is in which the laws are kind of constant, Right. Um, there's the way of the universe, which includes the laws of nature and the laws of man, or it, laws is maybe the wrong word, just the, what nature does. That's okay. the way of nature. Um, and so it kind of, the way of nature and the way of the universe are maybe not separate, okay. but the way of the universe also includes man, I think. And the way of man is often very different from that of nature, okay. right? Sometimes we do the opposite thing. And so what the Tao is aimed at doing is helping you to become in tune with your own nature the nature of the world around you in the universe and thereby live a better life. It's very practical. Okay. It's not like that sounded really mystical, but almost all the rest of the, the book is it's practical stuff. It's here's how you should kind of act. Here's maybe p- the mindset you want to put yourself in. Here's what's good. Here's what's bad. This is how you will live a positive beneficial life for everyone around you and sort of be in tune with with everything. So it's not so different from ancient Hellenistic thought in that it's, it's, um, occupying itself with questions of normative. Yeah, it does. It is occupying itself with questions of normatism, uh, normative questions. And the funny thing is how many of those directly overlap with even Christian scripture and other philosophies of the West, but we'll get there, right? We're getting ahead of ourselves. So chapter two, I was going to read the entirety of this one too. point, right? Yes, yeah. that is Lewis's point. Yeah. Ooh, good point. Come back to that. We'll, we'll right. circle back. Right. Circle right? back. Okay, chapter two. As soon as beauty is known by the world as beautiful, it becomes ugly. So bad news for you, Graham. I mean... I'm sorry. As soon as, yeah. So- I've known for ages, and the moment I knew... <laughs> ugly. You were ugly to me. Oof. Yep. Okay. As soon as virtue is being known burden. as something good, it becomes evil. Therefore, being and non-being give birth to each other. Difficult and easy accomplish each other. Long and short form each other. High and low distinguish each other. Sound and tone harmonize each other. Before and after follow each other as a sequence. Realizing this, the saint performs effortlessly according to the natural way without personal desire and practices the wordless teaching through one's deeds. The saint inspires the vitality of all lives without holding back. He nurtures all beings with no wish to take possession of. He devotes all his energy, but has no intention to hold on to the merit. When success is achieved, he seeks no recognition. Because he does not claim for the credit, he hence shall not lose it. 
Okay. So that, anything you recognize when, in there? Well, once beautiful is recognized as beautiful, it becomes ugly. Is that like an attack on analysis? Like if you if you can like perfectly chart out why this flower is beautiful, you've kind of robbed you've you've taken something away from it by making it too um, sort of mapped out. Like the, the idea of um, one of your favorite poets, your favorite poems about analyzing poems, tying it to a chair and beating it with a rope until it tells you what it means. Mm-hmm. Like, is, is that what he's getting at? If you under, if, if you recognize something as beautiful because you've run it through the equation of what beautiful is, that makes it ugly? And is he saying the same thing about virtue? If you can say... This is good. This is good because of all of these, of all of these causal reasons or right. whatever. Now you've sort of robbed it of its goodness and it's going to be an evil because you've... M- you master, you've lorded yourself over it. You've understood it. Maybe. I mean, that's the, <laughs> we can tell you our interpretations, but yeah, I don't a- AJ's not going to come back with, yes, that's the right Yes, one. this is definitely yeah. what's happening Excellent. in this yeah. cool. Eastern text. Absolutely. It Got it. Done Nailed it. Board. It does. Yeah. Points on the board, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll give point to AJ for <laughs> diving through and reading the whole book. Right? <laughs> it's actually pretty interesting. And yeah, I, sure. like I said, it's a, it's a pretty short read. But is that the like, is that the kind of the ethos of it? It's like you just experience things, don't try to know things. Uh, no? What, just experience, don't try well, to know? Well, it's, it's, it's like the difference between, you know, English doesn't have different a different word for knowing. We just, whereas, like, for, you know, French, you have connaître and savoir. Like, you know something by analyzing it, you know something by having, like, lived it. Oh, experiential. And so is that the distinction he's getting at? Like, if you just sort of, if you know beauty by analyzing it, you destroy it. If you know virtue by analyzing it, you make it evil. That would be kind of consistent with the rest of the text. Uh, oh, awesome. I think. <laughs> there's, a, there's a part where he talks about knowledge and how, yeah. how it puffs up, and which is it's very reminiscent of some, some Christian notions there. And then there's... <sighs> don't make everything... Don't tie everything back to Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, I, I'm simply comparing it to, you know, a philosophy I knew well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So... As I did that, I actually have a couple that I recognize that were almost direct overlaps. For example, although the saint puts himself last, he finds mm-hmm. himself in the lead. Yeah, interesting. Right, last, last and first. Be first right. um, it is because he is not focused on self-interests and hence can fulfill his true nature. Right? So because you're not focused on what you want, you can be humble. And that's actually echoed here in that second chapter that I read to you, right? He, he gets to help everybody flourish because he's not worried about himself. Right, because he's not worried about himself, he can help everybody do good, everyone around him, all of nature, and then because he's not trying to get the credit for doing that, he can never lose it, and so he's in a really good place. Like a high school teacher. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Yes. A non a non self aggrandizing one, Tom <laughs> or <a> Graham. <laughs> so this is also where we see a little bit of that yin yang thing, right? This is one of the texts where yin and yang shows itself, mm-hmm. and it actually uses the words here as okay. we as we move through. It only shows up a couple of times, but that second chapter really has this duality, right? They exist, things exist with their opposites and there's kind of a, an ebb and flow between them. And actually in our in between episode, we were talking about how a story, a news story will spring up and someone will put, put forth an interpretation of that story. And then someone else will put forward a counter interpretation. And then those things kind of live symbiotically off of each other. Right. right? And so I think the yin and yang principle, as I understand it, is kind of recognizing that symbiotic nature between darkness and light and good and bad and ugliness and beauty and cause and effect and all of those things sort of working together in this flow of the way. And if I'm remembering it from the many, many, many years ago from what I read it, there's also the masculine and the feminine tied into that as well. Mm -hmm. Where, yeah. Okay. Cool. 
Okay, I was also going to read chapter 8. So, a person of great virtue is like the flowing water. Water benefits all things and contends not with them. It puts itself in a place that no one wishes to be and thus is closest to Tao. A virtuous person is like water which adapts itself to the perfect place. His mind is like the deep water that is calm and peaceful. His heart is kind like water that benefits all. His words are sincere like the constant flow of water. His governing is natural without desire, which is like the softness of water that penetrates through hard rocks. His work is of talent like the free flow of water. His movement is of right timing like the water that flows smoothly. A virtuous person never forces his way and hence will not make faults. What do you, what do you got from that? Yeah, the, the virtuous person helps those around them and is like a blessing to be around. I mean, all that sounds great. Um, I feel like, again, I feel like I'm... Unless your basement floods. Too much water. Oh, that's chapter nine. Oh, okay. really? It talks about how if you, are, if you are out to get yours, if you uh-huh. want your own goods and you are after wealth, you are like, and I quote, the overflowing water which shall cause damages. Well, it is better to restrain yourself early. Those who are not content with fame is like polishing the edge of a knife. The sharper it gets, the easier it is to break. Right? So he's basically saying, you know, don't, if you're after your own stuff, you're going to cause harm to everybody. But if you are chill and you just flow, <laughs> if you're just super chill and you help out everybody uh-huh. and you're kind uh-huh. and you're just like getting in all the spaces and being lowest of all, you like the water that helps everybody out. I feel like so, I met some surfers like yeah, this. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's why you like it because it's just about being chill. So the, the chillest. Good. I'm so pitted. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, here's here's one more chapter. You guys with me so far? Yeah, yeah, for sure. so far. Chapter yeah. 10. I wanted to give you guys well, a sort of a... That, that virtue one. Wait a second. So um, what was it where water flows to the place that no one else wants to go? What was that? Uh, it was, let's see. It puts itself in a place that no one wishes to be and thus is closest to Tao. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Way. What's, the, what's your read on that one? It's closest to the way because it puts itself where no one wants to be. How does that correlate? How does that relate to virtue? I think maybe it's sort of you. You are uniting, uniting yourself with nature. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Or if water flows to the lowest point. Oh, right. I wasn't thinking. Oh, that. okay. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of imagery about how the wise person is like, like a valley where all the water flows into, mm-hmm. and and how the wise person is like a void. Right. Mm-hmm. You are. There, there's a lot about emptying yourself. So the receptiveness of, to the, of the way. Yeah, you are receptive. You are just sort of open to your own nature, open to the nature of the universe. And by being one with all of those things, then you can find yourself in a place of ease and contentment and, and being wise. It's, it, it makes sense to me that in later romanticism, they got real geeked up about... Um, what was that? What, what ended up being known as Orientalism, which is sort of an unfortunate name, um, but uh, really got into Eastern texts because it it does tie into that sort of the romantic notion of like the Wordsworth and Keats and Yeats, or not Yeats, Wordsworth and Keats and um, and Coleridge of the sort of like receptiveness, openness, letting the winds of nature blow on the harp, the Aeolian harp, and that kind of thing. It's that, that's interesting. Anyway, sure. All right. Chapter 10. You guys ready for another one? Rock and yes. roll. Okay. I like the, I, this format's working out where I sort it. of read a chapter and you guys respond. That's, that's doing okay. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. Chapter 10. Can one unite the body and the spirit as one and embrace the oneness without departing from the great Tao? Maybe. <laughs> Can one achieve harmony with such gentleness by holding on to the true spirit within as if the innocence, 
as, as, sorry, as if the innocence of an infant? Can one free oneself from worldly knowledge and cleanse one's mind so that no faults shall be made? Can a ruler love his people by governing with the natural way without personal intention? Can the mystic gate to all life essence be opened or closed without the virtue of the mysterious nature? That one, I'd... I'd Maybe it can. I don't know. I, I don't just, think it can. I'm, I'm going to say a hard yes on that one. <laughs> um, can one gain the insight of nature and become a wise person without the effort of action? The mysterious nature creates and nurtures all things without the desire to possess them. It performs with all efforts without claiming for credit. It flourishes all beings without the intention to take control of, such as such is the mystic te or mystic virtue. Mystic te, T-E, mm-hmm. is virtue. Okay. Yep. Ca- catch anything there? Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, there was this close association with that the... the the wise man or the virtuous man has some kind of really close relationship to nature. Yes. And receptive to nature. It's, you know, the idea I get is like, you know, the hermit living by himself in the woods who's being, who able is able to sort of like form his understanding of the way from the observations of nature. Yeah. The things that sort of jumped out to me on that one were trying to be like an infant, Right and sort of emptying yourself of personal intention. How do you rule a nation without Mm -hmm. personal intent, right? In the way that is most conducive to that nation's growth and health without being personally involved. Um, And that leads right into the next thing I wanted to read for you. It's not even a full chapter. It just says, 30 spokes unite around one hub to make a wheel. It is the presence of the empty space that gives the function of a vehicle. Clay is molded into a vessel. It is the empty space that gives the function of a vessel. Doors and windows are chiseled out to make a room. It is the empty space in the room that gives its function. Therefore, something substantial can be beneficial. Yeah. That, that's a very famous passage, that one. Yeah. Yeah. At least that's the one, I, that's the one I've heard before. Sure. Yes. Um, the idea of, of yeah, the, the, the empty space create the wheel, the empty space makes the room. Um, you're writing... To, sorry, go ahead, just, It feels hard to comment on. I don't... It does, but there, I feel like there's, there's, there's an idea there that's sort of hard to grasp, and that is that there's a benefit in... Well, even, even if we were just thinking about your last episode, Thomas, where happy is the man who understands the cause of things, there, here it's you are also happy if you can either rule out the causes of things right. or if you can understand the interplay between what is, like a table... Mm-hmm. And what isn't the table in the space that has that is empty? Yes. Like the, 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 the table needs to have the area of not table um, for it to either be, to have its function and to and to be useful. Um, isn't there also like a natural quality to the one who's happy? It's again, it's a consistency with who they are supposed to be. It's all the descriptions of the virtuous person. Water doesn't think about where it's going. It just goes to, like you said before, the lowest point. So there's also something like almost without thought or without intention. It's only this effortlessness. Effortless. Yeah, yeah. It's acting within nature. Um, and this probably is reflected in what we, at least maybe even it's just stereotypically know of those kinds of practices of meditation and being present in the moment to really think about like, okay, 
you know, I, I'm just existing as opposed to projecting in the future or remembering the past. I'm just trying to be, I don't know, present. Yeah. And there was a section that I'm not going to read, but it was about how when you, man, the best translation I can give it is when, when you are trying to be good, you are clearly not good, <laughs> right? The good person Sorry, try is hard. good. Yeah, exactly. They, they are good. And it is, it is a just person just sort of acts out of justice without thinking, right? And the person who is honest just tells the truth without having to think about it, right? The, the fact that you are trying implies that you are not that thing yet, right? If I'm trying to be virtuous, I'm not. Yeah, this is sort of Kierkegaard's knight of, not infinite resignation, the other one, knight of virtue, but his, the, that, that the, the good man is just kind of like, the, the good guy is doing his good life as mm-hmm. opposed to the guy who's like overthinking. Faith, it. knight of faith. Knight of faith, yeah. The, the, that's sort of the an idea of the knight of faith is that like, um, that it's this, you don't require this overthinking, the overthinkingness of it. Like if you think the joke or the meme with the bell curve, where you have mm-hmm. the troglodyte on one side and the sage on the other, and uh, the troglodyte's yeah. like, "I'm a good guy. I just do good things," and the sage's like, "Just do good things." And then the guy in the middle's like, "No, you can't just do good things. You have to. <laughs> you have to know the reason and the causes as right. to why you're doing these good things. And you have to measure out. You know." Right. Yeah. So I think I think this book is aimed at making you like that sage. Yeah. Right? yeah just yeah. do good things. Empty yourself. Figure out how to flow into the empty spaces. Do what you need to do. And you can see how this kind of doctrine flies directly in the face of the militant attitude of the day. Sure. Right? It would be totally opposite of what they would be telling warriors. Oh, or, or some kind of form of meritocracy, which is often in military, right? Like the best will rise to the top and whoever can do the, you know, uh, do the best and, and be the best is going to be the one that we put laurels on and that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to read chapter 16, partially because I think it helps clear a lot of this up. This oh, is one of the, uh, awesome. it's a very straightforward blunt Wonderful. chapter, Great. right? should be easy to grasp. Human must achieve the ultimate void and maintain calmness with sincerity in order to observe the growth and flourish of all beings. Great. Right? It is in this way that one can understand the law of nature. All things and beings will eventually return to the original source. This is called peace. Peace means returning to one's original nature. This original nature is the eternal law. To know the nature's law is to be enlightened. He who is ignorant of the nature's law shall act recklessly and thus will invite misfortune. To know the constant law of nature is to be generous. Being generous, one is impartial. Being impartial, one is the sovereign. Sovereign is the nature itself, and nature is Tao. Tao is everlasting. When one's physical body dies away, Tao still long endures. All right, did that help make sense of some of this? Mm -hmm. Right? So empty yourself, and you can better look at nature and, and observe the growth and flourishing of all things. And in this way, you can understand the laws of nature. And understanding the laws of nature, you can return to your source, find some peace, and then you get to be enlightened. And you won't act recklessly. You'll know, you can know you can be generous, impartial, sovereign, and this will return you to the Tao, which is the way of nature, right? You make yourself like it. So it's, it, it has a um, being a rule, ruling over yourself, ruling over your passions, but not in a like, not through force, but through levity, right? Like it's almost, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. You're not forcing yourself to act a certain way. Yeah. You're um, almost removing burden, removing mm-hmm. your example from before about meritocracy. You're like leaving that game, right? It's not about getting to a certain rank. So there's something, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing I was going to read next, but here's a small piece. People like to pursue after excitement as if they were ascending the terrace in spring and celebrate a sacrificial feast. But I alone remain quiet and calm like an infant who is pure and innocent. 
and I alone appeared to be lost like one who has nowhere to go. All people have a surplus, but I alone was a simple and left out like a fool. So it is like that empty yourself, sort of abandon the meritocracy and pursuing after things. I mean, that's all well and good, but don't we need sacrificial noble actions? Like this person sounds like he's, uh, you know, a, a opt-out kind of guy. Um, and I'm going to go sort of pursue my calmness and my um, peace. And the way to do that seems to be like an abdication of responsibility or a removal of society from society, like the idea of the hermit. Um, that doesn't seem good. Well, it's not total removal. And this is where, I think this is where it gets complicated is he talks about the ruler who follows the Tao. Okay. And so he's got a public life where he just sort of begrudgingly does it or he does it in accordance with nature. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of chapters near the end that have to do directly with governance mm-hmm. and how, how you can rule from the Tao. Um, before that are a couple of chapters about how warfare works with the Tao. So you guys, you guys with okay. me? All right. Yeah. I got a couple. So this is a little bit of chapter 30. So it's, so yeah, just to be fair. So he's not av- advocating for total inaction and withdrawal. Total inaction and withdrawal. Okay. No, he is, he's saying you need to act practically in accordance with the laws of nature. And to do that, you have to understand the laws of nature first, which means emptying yourself. That's, that's so kind of what I've put together so far. You can't be a withdrawn monk. You got to be the kind of person that wants to be a withdrawn monk, but is still like, is peaceful, going, but is still going to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you work like water, okay. Graham. <laughs> awesome. Uh, okay. So one who assists the ruler with the principles of the Tao will not use the force of arms to conquer the world. So he, for such affairs will result in cause and effect. Apparently cause and effect, not good. Not a cool oh, thing. Sorry Don't want that. that. Sorry, no. no more causation. No more causation. How you conquer the world then? Whenever armies touch the land, it is turned into a wasteland of thorns and brambles, right? So this is just, war War is not a good thing. But he doesn't okay. say you can never fight it. Um, this is chapter 31. Weapons of war are instruments of disaster. They are rejected by all beings. Thus, a person of Tao will not dwell upon them. According to the ancient custom of yin and yang, a man of virtue values the left, which is represented by yang. And a man of war values the right, which is represented by ying. Weapons are instruments of evil and are not valued by a man of virtue. They are only used as the last resort to attain peace when all else has failed. If their use is necessary, it is best to employ with calmness and tranquility. Even if it means victory, it's not something pleasant. Those who rejoice over the victory enjoy killing. He who delights in killing will not be favored by the people and shall not bring harmony to the world. It is the ancient custom to favor happy events to the left as represented by Yang, while on sad occasions it is favored, favored to the right as represented by Ying. When this right is applied to the army, the lieutenant general takes the place on the left, and the commander-in-chief takes the place of the right. This indicates that war is treated as if it is a funeral service, for many lives had been killed and hence should be mourned with sorrow. Therefore, although a victory was won, it is treated like a funeral rite. So you can have it if you want to, if you need to do peace, but you're you mourning. have to, but you're in mourning that whole time. It's not going to be a good thing. Right. I like that. It, like a, an unwillingness to go directly to war, a desire for peace primarily. I mean, all that sounds great. And one of the best parts about this is I was reading a Kindle version that is not it feels like one of those versions where someone found a translation and did like a PDF oh, copy of it great. and then immediately published it with little pictures as an illustrated version to make a couple bucks. And? 
And <laughs> so some of the words aren't quite right. Like they are only used as the last resort to attain peach mm. when all else have failed. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like, uh, it's like Augustine's pear. Got to have that peach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, again, he's not advocating for inaction, but I think maybe right perspective as you act, right? Making sure that you know what you are bringing into the world when you bring warfare. Which seems important for a leader to have, that they're not bloodthirsty, they're not only going after conquest. Right. But realistic enough to acknowledge that war still happens. You can't put it off always. Yeah. Okay. I got a couple more, and then we'll move on. So let's do the ones on uh, governing governing a, a place. Okay. okay. And then we can sort of have a debrief. I, I j- just as an aside, I find it fascinating that a lot of these texts talking about philosophy and the way of living were written to rulers. Like, they were written with the idea that this is what you need if you're going to be a person in charge of other people, mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, the happy farmer's guide to being a happy farmer. <laughs> sure. Right? Like, the, like, whoever sat down and wrote this said, who am I writing this to? It needs to be written to a king. Who am I writing this to? It needs to be written to a ruler. Or the or writing it to the ruler is... If I can, if if it's if it's good enough for the ruler, then it's going to be great for the for the person or for right. the non. If it can, I, I, yeah, I, I think that's the principle. If it can, if it applies for someone who has everyone else under their control and can make a good man out of them, then it should apply to. Then it should apply to everybody, everybody. right? Yeah. Right. Everybody will have some little bit of control in their lives, and whereas if you wrote for the happy farmer who's not in charge of anything except his farm, then the ruler could be like, well, that's all well and good for him, but we got you know stuff to do. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here's the stuff on governance. Govern a nation with the right principle. Fight a battle with the tactics of surprise and rule over the world with peace and natural effort. How do I know this is so? By the following. The more prohibitions that are imposed on people, the poorer the people become. The more sharp weapons the people possess, the greater is the chaos in the country. The more clever clever and crafty the people become, the more unusual affairs occur. The more laws and regulations that exist, the more thieves and brigands appear. Hence, the saint declares, I act effortlessly with the way of Tao. Thus, people transform themselves naturally. I love tranquility and peach. Thus, people naturally follow the right way. I do not exhaust people with labor. Thus, people naturally are wealthy. I have no personal desires. Thus, people naturally are innocent and simple. That was 57. 58. When the government is dull, people are simple and sincere. When the government is complex and stringent, <laughs> people are cunning and shall cause trouble. And so we, that, that's kind of where it stops about governance. Well, isn't that, don't you think that's kind of strange? Oh, I think that, no, I think that makes total sense. Like, yes. like if the laws are going to be so complicated, then you're going to have, you're going to completely engender a bunch of cunning people trying to get out of stuff or, yes. or whatever, right? Yeah, totally agree. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's, it's anarchistic. It's an, oh, a little bit. Really? Uh, well, so you an, still have laws. So anarchism is not... Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is the day the podcast took a turn. <laughs> Did you guys know that I... Uh, I know. Yes. Yeah. So... Yes. <laughs> Everyone yes. else is like, what? No, I was, uh, there was a time when I was going to go and be like a traveling missionary yeah. to traveling yeah, anarcho, the populace of the U.S., Anyway, anarchism isn't necessarily no laws, chaos all the time. It's return to old ways, right? Small government, small stuff. Basically, with no government, we can govern ourselves and put ourselves together. And that's kind of what this is advocating is 
Make it no, simple. No, he's just saying small government. Right. Small or government, simpler, simpler rule naturally, government. be simple, don't give a lot of laws. Not a lot of pointy sticks. Not, not a lot of pointy, pointy sticks. Pointy. Not a lot of, like, return. Come and take it is what I say. Yeah, return uh-huh. to the old ways, yeah. right? That's kind of what he's saying. Okay. I don't know. I mean, people don't like pro- – more prohibitions mean, mean ha- uh, uh, sadder people. Isn't that where he started with? Wait, what's it He said the, the, increase the prohibitions, you increase the misery of the populace or something like that. They become poor. They become – and so that makes sense. But then he says, the more weapons you have in society, the greater ills that you have. The greater the chaos in the country. The greater the chaos in the country, okay. Um, and uh, and then the more complex the government, the more cunning and crafty the people. Uh, no, the more clever and crafty the people, the more unusual affairs occur. Yeah, yeah, but but, but they're, the, they're clever the and crafty book. because oh, of yeah. the government. Oh, yeah, top of 57, it said something about that. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, when the government is dull, people are simple and sincere. When the government is complex and stringent, people are cunning and shall cause trouble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That sounds right. That Doesn't sounds it? right. I mean, that's uh, accountants and lawyers make money from complexity, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's read the very last chapter as kind of a final word. Wait, so you, but just before you move on, so your point was that from your reading of this, he's advocating for as much of a stripped down... Uh, system of governance as possible. Yeah, as simple as it possibly can be and in accordance with man's na- man's nature. Yeah. Which I, I guess is kind of the goal. So Megabee's anarcho-primitivism. Man, it's been a long time since I've been one of those, though. Really? What are you now? Yeah, what are you now? Like uh, a front 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 porch Republican or something? I don't. I, don't, I feel What's a front desire? porch Republican? I don't uh, know. That it's like small local community... Okay. Conservative. I feel no desire to talk about political belief on a podcast. That seems weird. I don't know. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Didn't mean uh, to make you uncomfortable, Thomas. No, sorry. Okay. I, I kind of made you want to feel uncomfortable. I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the end. Chapter 81. Words of truth are not pleasing. Pleasing words are not truthful. The wise one does not argue, and he who argues is not is wise. Not wise. Yeah, good. A wise man of Tao knows the subtle truth and may not be learned. A learned person is knowledgeable, but may not know the subtle truth of Tao. A saint does not possess and accumulate surplus for personal desire. The more he helps others, the richer his life becomes. The more he gives to others, the more he gets in return. The Tao of nature benefits and does not harm. The way of a saint is to act naturally without contention. Okay, so great. basic summary. Empty yourself. Return to your true nature. Be generous. Don't seek your own ends. I can't tell you how many times that came up in the reading. Like mm. if you are selfish, if you are after your greed, if you are after your own pleasures or your lusts, you're going to come to harm somehow. So if you don't want anything, you can't really run into trouble, right? You're not going to have any hardship. So empty yourself of those desires. And that way you can kind of help everybody. And if you are the guy leading a country and you are emptied of your desires, then your concern will be for your people, for their success. Keep your government simple. Try to make laws in accordance with their nature. And that is the way of returning, kind of aligning yourself with the way of the world. Does that like make sense? the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Don't be Mr. Potter. Be mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, What's sure. What's his name in that movie? Bailey? No. Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. I don't have your money. It's in Fred's house. Jim's house. Oh, Mr. Potter. <laughs> All right, so do, do you guys have George any final Bailey. thoughts? You mentioned George something Bailey. about C.S. Lewis a little bit earlier. Um, uh, yeah. Um... <laughs> Well, C.S. Lewis, when you, you were, dad moves on. when you were saying a lot of this, you know, uh, has um, almost word for word kinds of, of sentiments with with uh, Christian principles. Um, 
the last shall be first. Um, Lewis's point that he makes in The Abolition of Man is that this is not because somehow the texts from the East made it to the West or the texts from the West made it to the East, but that this is, that there is a universal human um, objective morality that we all tap into that he calls, that Lewis calls the Tao to steal the word from this book. Um, Does he say why he calls it that? Like in, in light of there being an actual um, Taoism? No, he doesn't. And that, maybe that's interesting to speculate on. My guess is, is that he, by reading this, recognizes that um, maybe he sees this as, the, as, the, as a good example of that. That like, hey, look, look, go read. If you read um, uh, um, this book, um, you'll see that a lot of the thought that is being put forward by a cultured man from a completely different culture, separated um, from the West, is putting forward very similar notions to Stoicism and to Romanticism and to some of these other things that have come up. In yeah, I was just going to say this sounds almost exactly like Stoicism. Exactly. Right. And so by doing that, it's not that they all got together and like had a conference right. and then took these things home. It's that they are that there is a thing as human beings that we are all a part of, the, uh, the, the world of the moral, the world of the good life, the world of the ethical man, um, that we naturally have resonance and access to. You want proof? Go read this in. Go read the, te- the the moral texts of South America. Go read the moral texts of medieval Europe. Go read the moral texts of ancient China, uh, and you'll see that there are these sort of rhyming concepts. Some may make um, headway on these concepts more than others. So Lewis uses the example that um, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is a moral precept, and. Um, do, no, no. Uh, don't do to people what you don't want done to you is a moral precept. And then do unto others as you would have them do unto you is a step forward. It's an advancement It's an advancement precept. in ethics. So he's saying there can be advancement in ethics, but there can't be a wholesale genus change or species change in terms of ethics. There can be mutations. That's the wrong way to say it. There can be advancements, there can there be advancements and there can be improvements and there can be changes, right. but you're not going to have a wholesale um, um, uh, change in kind, you can have maybe a change in token. Because this was this stuff was being written down right around the same time, the golden age of philosophers in Greece. Yeah. So then they're not, you know, they're not TED talking back and forth. So no, um, like it's just springing to life in Greece and 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 in China and apparently in China. Which I mean, is fascinating. Which is, there, is which is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in the book that seem that would either be shocking or like? Is there anything in there that you look at and think, no, Ooh, that's wrong? That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Other than because it seems like the main difference is stylistic. That the, yeah, it felt like the main difference was simply style right. and was um, maybe the mystical side of things. Right, the West is very much cut and dried. Here's here's the way things work. Right, there's there's little mysticism. It depends on your your practice, of course. Like there's mysticism even within Christianity, but sure. but this is like leaning hard on the mystical side of things. And if I remember correctly, the Bhagavad Gita and the Vedas are kind of the same, right? It's, it's more of a mystical text, more than just like, here's a good way to live, right? The Stoics are very straightforward, right? Stoicism is not complicated. They just say, here's the best way to do it. And they line up almost exactly, right? The expression of it is just a little bit different. Yep. Maybe the only thing is talking about how 
emptying yourself of the knowledge is the way to go. And I'm wondering if that's simply a reflection of noticing that good people aren't necessarily trying to be good. They just are good and act from that basis. And so maybe if you can return to that as a natural human state, then you will be good as well, right? That might be shocking more than any other things, but everything else seemed to line up pretty pretty well, even with things like Buddhism, right? Mm-hmm. Buddhism is, here's how to avoid suffering, and a lot of the concepts and precepts are the same, right? Action, that sort of stuff. The mysticism of the East and the sort of... Um contemplation of the ideal type of the West, you see both of those things reflected in a unique way, kind of in that buffer territory of Eastern Orthodoxy, right? Like the band that kind of separates um, the hardcore Latin West from from the Far East, you have that mysticism of, you know, uh, of Greek Orthodoxy, Roman Orthodoxy, Russian Orthodoxy, Armenia, all of those places. And then you also still have the Hellenistic tradition as well. So that's sort of like this interesting sort of ombre change between uh, the mushing together of the, of the two. Yeah. So one of my, one of my big questions that I came away with this was, all right, where should, like, what value is reading something like this to someone in their education? And not necessarily just to high school and college students, but to someone maybe like our listeners who have come to this after college and are looking for a better education. When should they start maybe branching out and reading things like the Tao and the teachings of Confucius and any other texts that they, that might be interesting from the East? Like, when does that come in? Should I have a good foundation of my Western thought first, or does that actually hamper me when I'm trying to approach an Eastern text like this, which it did for me, right? I I was coming with a very kind of rigid belief set and, and preconceived notion of the world, right? Things are static. They work a certain way. Definitions like, um, it's less about change and interconnectedness, which is something the East is very much about, or should I kind of grow up with both of them the same. Like, as I start with Plato, so I start with Confucianism and the Tao. Graham just shrugged his shoulders. Graham just shrugged his shoulders. And there you have it, folks. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I, I think it's helpful to have both. If you, you um, the stereotype of the person who, like, discovers the Eastern texts and then, like, wears a shark shell necklace and moves to California, right? Uh, and... <laughs> and practices like the popular Californian version of Zen Buddhism, like that's kind of cringy. And so you want to have, you want to be a well-read, knowledgeable person about the world. And so um, are you thinking that there's a danger of having having an an unequal weighting? Well, I was just going to ask if that's what you implied. Like this person who wears the shell necklace and moves to California, is it because they're impressionable or because yeah. they don't know what they believe? The first? worry is, is that uh, someone comes to this and is, maybe this isn't a worry, but uh, someone comes to this and it's like, oh, it's all just about your vibe. And then, right. And you got the surfer philosophy. Maybe that, maybe there's something wrong with the surfer philosophy. Maybe that guy's happy. Maybe that guy is, uh, he's got a good vibe. He's got it all, fi- <laughs> he's got it all figured <laughs> out. Um, but I don't want to, but like, Taoism is like a significant religion. It's not just a, the misinterpretation of the surfer. So I also don't want to do it the disservice of saying it's, you know, we've talked before about not judging Christianity by the, you know, young mistakes of it. Um, So that, you know, that's the other side where this would be a book that's more worthwhile. It's hard to say when you should read it because I, I I think very quickly that conversation turns into, you should have read everything by the age of seven because there are so many books that are worthwhile. 
do you have some thought about like you wish you had read this sooner? I mean, I, I think it just plays into a lot of a lot of conversations we've had about what to include in the curriculum, right? There's there's constant clamoring for other voices, right? Mm-hmm. Voices not your mm-hmm. own. And there is definitely a value to other perspectives, right? The value of the perspective from the East is but this isn't recognizing just like, interconnectedness, that sort of thing. But you don't read it just to get another perspective because as we've even pointed out by listening to this, they are also talking about the same kinds of things that have been talked about in Romanticism and Stoicism. For forever. And, um, and so when you, when you read it, um, yeah, so it's, it's not just like we're going to give, you know, token adherence to something co- totally foreign from what we're, what we're um, uh, used to. My personal remembrance of when I read this back in college was coming into it thinking I was going to get something that yes. felt, tasted, and was so completely foreign and different that it was going to be like entering an alien world. And then I realized, oh, this is a continuation of the same kinds of topics that are, are un- to universal to the human experience. Should you withdraw from society and live the simple life, or should you put yourself in, in to be the ruler and to and you know to rule with beneficence, right? Like they're talking about that in this text, better, and then they're talking about that in Homer. Right. So um, that that was my my remembrance of this in college when I read it was coming to it and being like, oh, I'm actually a lot more. I, I this is a lot more familiar territory by reading ancient works than I thought it was going to be because, um, yeah, the, the, there are those other differences like the, like the, the talking about the negative space. Uh, we don't really talk about like the absence of form or structure in the West as much. And maybe that, so maybe that's the, the unique or not the unique, but the like, yeah, we get a little bit of bigger that. emphasis, but yeah, struggling yeah. with the two opposing forces of the world was what Augustine did yeah, before yeah. he found or August Augustinus. If we're going to be, I any. didn't say anything. <laughs> I rolled at me. I didn't say anything. You mispronounced it and I judged you inside of me, but and I didn't. I corrected. I corrected for you as a courtesy. Thank you. Um, with but he, he struggled with what was it? It wasn't Manichaeism. It mm-hmm. was, uh, was, that was one of them. Was that it? Yeah. Manichaeism. So he, he, he had, there were three different heresies, Platonism and Manichaeism were two of the big ones. Um, but yeah, he did. So yeah, it was the interplay between the two forces of the world and he eventually left it. So it's not like even that doctrine, right? The two opposing forces and symbiotic relationship between them is originally East, like solely Eastern, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I guess my point being that when people talk about getting, having a wide variety of texts to get different perspectives, a lot of it is, is sort of feels like it's born out of an ignorance of the other perspective thinking that it's a completely a completely foreign territory and um um but when you but when you read it you're like oh they're concerned with living well and right. ruling with beneficence and what watching it means out for to your be, desires and, and watching out for your desires and what it means to live a life of peace and, and the horrors of war and the horrors of war and this is not any not that you then ignore it and say well I don't need to read uh, anything from from the east because it's also in the western tradition as well no because they're because um the very act of realizing that humanity is a lot more uh, tightly knit than being rooted like rigidly separated is i think you know an important discovery to make so but that was kind of my point yeah you could only say that we're all the same because you've read both yeah right yeah do you read you read whitman in your 10th grade class oh, we don't oh never mind so He's Whit- American. Oh, but I guess I thought you did. 
Oh no, um, sorry. In your senior class, do you no, do poetry? No, we don't. We, we don't do Whitman. Sorry, there's Whitman has a famous poem. He's on. crazy. Okay, <laughs> crazy man. You say why? Just he wants to, to like make love to the world. Ah, well, in that same vein, his one of his <laughs> famous poems, uh, "Passage to India," which later that title gets adapted to a book. Uh, I think is a part of what you all are talking about. Um, sorry, I read this somewhat recently, which is why I have it on the mind. So this is from the end of the second part of the poem. Passage to India. Lo, soul, seest thou not God's purpose from the first, the earth to be spanned, connected by network, the races, neighbors to marry and be given in marriage, the oceans to be crossed, the distant brought near, the lands to be welded together. A worship new I sing. You captains, voyagers, explorers, yours. You engineers, you architects, machinists, yours. You, not for trade or transportation only, but in God's name and for thy sake, O soul. So it's a super long poem, but he has this vision of the entire world being connected and this new spiritual awakening happening because of the West moving to the East. And I think like all of human history is like how that didn't happen. Right. <laughs> like, like he has this like huge optimism and like actually war and conflict and like, uh, like misery, ha- you know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's where I appreciate, like, I like Whitman's optimism and I want to still have that optimism as the resident curmudgeon of the three of us. I just don't like, I, I think there's great value to learning about other civilizations reading other works. I just don't think it's like, this is what Graham was just saying. It's not revelatory. You're not going to like change your life. Or thinking that like all of the problems of your culture or civilization will be solved by another one. By going and and sort of like adopting. So maybe that's sort of the cringiness we feel about the surfer who like is like, I'm a Zen Buddhist now in California. Like I've given away the materialism of the West. It's like, well, um, uh, it's the West has been teaching non-materialism. Well, for it's just also the, the the fear that like it's it's a shallow view of or that that you think that by by sort of larping a different culture <laughs> you are going to solve your problems. Larping a different culture. <laughs> Perfect. That's exactly what it is, though. Um, it is, and um, um, whereas you guys know that's going to be the title of the I podcast: know, How so. to Larp a I Different Culture. Um, whereas. The, the the benefit of it is is realizing that sort of that brotherhood that yes. the realizing like mm-hmm. oh my goodness the farm you know uh, uh, the farmer in his field looking worriedly at the sky in ancient Pakistan is the same one in like rural California yes. like the crazy thing is how much this flies in the face of current culture yes. what you guys are saying is almost directly anti correct what we call it pluralistic culture yeah or the uh, yes um, what the we are all the same that that is flies directly in the face of the we are all different and don't have the same experience and that, and that there is either no crossover that you can have you can never understand the experiences of other cultures or um, um, some cultures are wholesale bad some cultures are wholesale good and and yeah anyway that's a whole those are maybe waters we can continue going down on the in-between episode sure. yeah Okay, well, that's that's about all I had. Listener, if you enjoyed those little snippets I read, you should go read it. Again, it's really short, and I think it's a really interesting look into 4th century BC cool. China. Uh, it's it's worth looking at. Hopefully, I'll come back with some Confucius and maybe some other things, the Vedic texts. It'd be, it'd be, it's fun for me to strike out into new territories. Cool. So Sounds great. look forward to that. Well, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know with Graham, Thomas, and AJ. We thank you for listening. You can find us at classicalstuff.net. You can email us at theguys at classicalstuff.net. You can patronize us on Patreon where there are some tiers 
and cheers. No, there are some tiers where, where we have different uh, th- um, things and goodies and episodes and all sorts of fun th- stuff. You can check us out. You can tweet at us at Classical Stuff on the Twitter. Yep. And um, that's it. Thanks for listening and um, broaden your horizons. And Be a man of peach. Be a man of peach. <laughs> and yeah, uh, read without fear. That's perfect. Bye. Bye.